Siri, find the side stage show. I found this on the web. It's the side stage show with Trav on 95.9 KRFF. I'm so excited. I tell you what, I've always told you this, that era of music, I'm going to live and die by that. There was nothing like it. And uh, I'm reliving my childhood here. There's a brand new book out called Nothing But a Good Time Book, The Uncensored History of the 80s Hard Rock Explosion. Uh, the good crew over there, Tom Bozier and Richard uh, Beanstalk, I believe, uh, have uh, co-authored this, this monster of a book. And it's already a New York Times bestseller. That tells you how amazing this book and how amazing that era was. And we've got him here on the phone to chat a little bit about the book. Uh, calling in from Hoboken, New Jersey, our good pal here, Tom Bozier. How you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing well. I, I got to say it was uh, definitely a pleasant surprise yesterday. How exciting. So let me let me ask you, uh, uh, what does that tell you about that era of music to know that just here you are a, a few weeks into this brand new book and already a New York Times bestseller. The fans are out there. The people who love that era are out there. What does it tell you about that era to know that your book is already a, a success? I mean, I think I think it's that what we we've, we've been saying it and I think it's really true that this has sort of become the new classic rock. Right. That, you know, this is the people who are I mean, I'm I just turned fifty and I was, you know, thirteen when, you know, I, I discovered a lot of this stuff and I think all of the, those people who are sort of in my age, maybe a little older, a little younger, are just so nostalgic for this stuff and and, and you know, it's we've gotten through sort of the dark period where you weren't allowed to like this stuff or you had to pretend you didn't. Um, and you know, it's all these great songs that we grew up with right. that like just were part of our youth. So I think it really is. There's nostalgia and there's the fact that these bands are still active and out there playing, you know, people just, and there hadn't been a book like this on it yet. So I think we just, it was a perfect storm for us. And, and this music is just sort of, I think having a moment right now. Absolutely. Well, amen to that. I mean, now anybody who's got the book, uh, you literally went out and got quotes and stories from the guys who lived it themselves. How long did it take uh, take you both to put this thing together? When did it start? And, uh, you know, how long did this whole process take for you? We broke ground on four years. Okay. <laughs> so that's what we started. We start, You know, it took about a year to get sort of the a few chapters done and try and get the, get the book deal and all this stuff. And then another three years of interviewing. I mean, it was a huge task and I don't know how one person could have tackled it. So I'm glad that, <laughs> you know, I had a, a teammate for it, but it was, you know, it was over 200 interviews and um, some of them took a while to get, you know, I think, I think I have like 16 months of emails going back and forth with Sebastian Box management to, <laughs> to nail down that email just because, you know, he's on tour, he's doing this, he's doing that. Right. You know, when they're doing interviews for this book, it's not promoting something specific. So, um, but it was a lot of work. I got to say, everyone that we talked to once we got them on the phone was just so super cool. And once they realized that we were fans and that we knew our stuff and that we weren't going to ask them the same you know, four questions like, "Hey, your hair was kind of silly back then or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's, right. there's four questions they probably all get all the time. And yeah. once they realized that we were really fans, they all opened up and they would recommend us to other people. It was great. Right. Well, you said it yourself. You're a fan. And uh, as you know, we fans of this era of music, even these bands, all that, we like to think we know everything 
about this era. We think we know everything about these bands. And and I went into this book and I literally thought to myself, all right, what are you going to tell me that I haven't already heard? Because I've seen the behind the you know the behind the scenes things. We've seen uh, those old home videos. We've read some of the autobiographies. We've seen the dirt. The movie, what are you going to show me that I haven't already known about these bands? And I'll tell you what, first chapter in, it was an educational lesson. What is one of the stories that you remember putting together for this book that you just went, I didn't know that, and I thought I knew everything? I mean, I, for example, didn't was not at all clear how close Flash came to being in Poison. You know, I sort of maybe heard it once or twice, but the fact that, like, Flash was it was down to CC DeVille and Slash for the guitar seat in Poison when their original guitar player Matt Smith went back to Pennsylvania. And I mean, you know, and it's funny because Brett Michaels liked Slash and then when Ricky Rocket, the drummer and Bobby Dahl, the bass player, liked CC DeVille and apparently when CC DeVille actually came into the auditions, he hadn't learned any of their songs. <laughs> and he just showed up he just showed up and he was like, I got this song talk dirty to me. Check it out. So, you know, from the very beginning, he was sort of like this firecracker. Yeah. But that whole story was, you know, just crazy to me. Um, you know, a lot of the, the, of the some stories about Dokken getting into horrible, like the specifics of like the horrible fights and pranks that they would get into in the studio. There was a lot of stuff. Basically, what we did as fans of this music is sort of exactly what you were saying. When we would do interviews, we, we were looking for stuff that we didn't know already that we hadn't heard before and then we were like all right we're on the right track and then we would dig down because it's true you know we already have the dirt we already have these other things so we were trying to come up with fresh things like you know like the slash thing like um no i don't know like there's a million yeah different weird 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 things in there but that sort of to me was the, the, the one like wow i had no idea you know, it's so amazing because it really was, you know, such a scene. And we're just talking Hollywood. I mean, it was happening over on the other side of the coast there uh, with Twisted Sister. It was happening in uh, Southern California as well. Your, your Bobby Blotzer, your Don Dawkins were down there. Dante Fox, which is the great white guys, they were commuting up to Hollywood. And then, of course, across... Across the ocean there, you had Def Leppard doing their own thing, so it was all meant to come together at some point. And I loved your story uh, about how Striper was actually, uh, they were impressed by CeCe DeVille just walking down the street and asked him to audition. They thought he played great, but he couldn't wrap his head around that they wanted to do yellow and black, just like they couldn't wrap around uh, their head that he wanted to do the pink and purple thing. And, And of course, the whole thing worked out. They ended up being with who they were supposed to be, but... One of the great things about this book is that uh, it made you appreciate a lot of the guys that probably didn't get the respect that they were due. And uh, one of the early chapters you talk about Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes, even George Lynch, kind of being those three key guitar players around that early era that were getting the respect amongst the guitar playing community. Who was some of the artists that you have a newfound respect for after getting to know the story and putting this book together? I think definitely um, one because I interviewed all of them. They were they, they, they were sort of on my jurisdiction. I interviewed everyone and all of the women who are in Vixen, right? And and sort of and you know we're one of the only, if not the only, all female band of the era. It's certainly the most successful one. And so like hearing their story and how hard they had to 
struggle to get a record deal with record companies being like, you know, I don't, we don't see hard rock and and women. I don't, we don't think we can market you and just sort of like the how much grit they had to show um, to you know to get that done. Um, I thought was amazing, and also I just hadn't really understood how hard bands like Twisted Sister and Quiet Riot in the early part of this era, like in the you know 80, 81, how hard they had worked to get their deals. That, you know, when they were coming, when they were trying to get a deal in 79, 80, 81, record labels didn't want to touch this kind of music. Right. That they thought that it was really dinosaur music, that it was left over from the 70s, you know, and all the labels wanted to sign was like the next Elvis Costello or the Go-Go's or the Knack. And so these guys had to struggle so hard and, you know, put out their own records, finance their own records, finance their own videos. You know, when you start, when you sort of, when you're 12 years old, like I was, or 11, and you see the Quiet Riot come on, feel the noise video come on MTV, you don't realize that these guys have been hustling for a decade. Wow. And to me, that really gave me a newfound respect for some of these bands early in the era who had to not only come up with great songs, but actually prove that this music was a viable commercial endeavor for the record label. Right. You know, that brings up a good question. Uh, this era of music, obviously it, it, it uh, benefited highly from MTV and music videos. But the unfortunate thing too, is that for those who haven't got to know this era of music and appreciated it, uh, the respectability for this era of music isn't always necessarily there from fans, fans who were people for who were not fans of this era of music. In a way, do you think MTV kind of took away uh, the respectability that these bands would have had with the music videos? Had it just been heavy airplay and maybe live performances and those magazine interviews? Do you think, in a certain roundabout way? The, the videos that accompanied these songs kind of ruined it for them and they didn't get the respectability that uh, that they deserved? I mean, in a way, I think that it's possible. Like, MTV was so important that I don't know if we'd be sitting here, you know, 30 years later talking about all this if there wasn't MTV because it, that's really what beamed it into my home and your home and everybody's home and, like, captured our imaginations. Right. But I think that the same thing that did capture people's imaginations like the larger than life the pyro and yet you know in some cases like scantily clad women and this and the crazy hair which was so tailored to mtv and so sort of um appealing and just like visually you know stimulating is also what made the music and this gets back to your point easy to, to sort of mock or discount later on right certainly you know when you get later into the 80s and into the early 90s where all the bands look the same and sound the same when you're looking for a reason to not respect this music you know you can easily make a list of 10 videos and be like well that was pretty goofy and you know that one was sexist and that one you know is like just dumb so there's there's definitely it it left sort of a smoking gun i think in some cases but it was also what allowed this music to just be the dominant form of rock for a decade so it was a double-edged sword for sure, for sure. Uh, this era of music, obviously, it gets poked at a lot. And I'm telling you, I'll live and die by this era of music. This is the stuff that I just know and love, and it's near and dear to my heart. But uh, even said it in the book, the, the the type of things that were going on at that time probably could possibly not hold up 
at this time because of, uh, well, the sexist remarks or the sexist outlook at this music that it had at the time. Yet we see hip-hop artists out there doing the same thing. So there's a lot of bands who are influenced by this era, and they're trying to do not the same thing, but their own version of this sort of thing. Do you ever think we're going to see a scene like the 80s rock era, but uh, with the new blood, so to sense? I mean, I think there are some really great new bands that are sort of like carrying the hard rock torch. And, you know, you've got Lizzie Hale doing it. You've got Pretty Reckless. There's lots of great bands. I don't, getting back to your MTV question, I don't think that there will be another time where there's this sort of one place where all the kids are seeing the same videos at the same time. I think there's too much choice now, you know. And I also think for for there to be that much of a of a concentrated attention on a couple bands. And I also think that, you know, back then we didn't have Instagram and things, so I didn't know what CC DeVille or Brett Michaels were having for breakfast and this, that, the other thing. So you could really believe that the guys in the bands were superheroes. Right. Because, you know, they you, they were just existing in this magical world of Hollywood and, and on these arena stages with Tyro and, like, flying through the air and they had a million guitars. And I think that um, there's a little bit too much sort of behind the the Wizard of Oz curtain now for it to be right. to capture your imagination in that way. Very good but certainly, point. Yeah. You know. Well, I'm going to tell you, this is how much respect I have for your body of work here in this brand new book. Um, I think it's up there, if not more important, than uh, The Dirt from Motley Crue. That tells one story of one band, but this is a scene, and there were a lot of different artists doing what The Dirt tells about but from many so many different aspects and it gets behind the history of how the scene came together and what they went through in the 90s and how it's now come back around so i'm going to put it out there now because i think this book is that important do you ever see down the road nothing but a good time book becoming a documentary maybe possibly even a uh, a biopic like we've seen with queen or the dirt i mean i would we actually have um been optioned for a documentary, so that could happen sometime in the very near future, actually. So there is actual talk of that, and sort of it seems like it is moving in that direction, which I think would be super fun. I would love to work on that. So that is definitely a possibility, and I've, you know, we've we've also talked about it. It'd be fun to, like, sort of take all of the characters and distill them into, like, one band that would, and for a dramatic sort of rendition of this because there are so many common you know it's not all the partying like you're saying of, of, of Motley Crue but there's so many common themes between these bands of their work ethic and, and how they get their deals and the touring and the this and the that that I think that you can really you could create one fictional band that could capture all of the themes and the ideas in this book because there's so much in common between different bands that's really exciting and actually a really uh kind of exciting notion and i was thinking you know this book could also become a brand and i'm sure you're already working on that if you're already working on a documentary but this could be become a brand where we possibly see uh nothing but a good time uh festival maybe tour is that something that's ever been thought about as well uh you know what that's a good idea i'm I'm jotting it down right now (laughs) look like I, i i would like to keep working around or with this book as long as possible because it, I really this was like the one 
music and thing that meant this much to me. So I, it's not like I got a lot of other, you know, tricks up my sleeve. Like, oh, I also know this much about golf right. and hot rods. You know, <laughs> like this is this is what lives inside my brain. So the longer that I can keep, you know, working with it, I will. But so hopefully you will see more stuff and I'm definitely I'm gonna I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring those suggestions up to, <laughs> to, to my co-writer Rich Beanstalk and, and see what he thinks too maybe we'll we'll try and get that started I love it well I want a personal invite if that comes together real quick Absolutely. tell us tell us how you and Richard came together to put this wonderful piece of work together because there's a lot of us fans out there who applaud you and uh, thank you for putting this book together how did you two coordinate getting together for this book we had known each other for uh, about 20 years. We both started at Guitar World magazine back in the 90s. Um, and I was, a, I was the managing editor there, and Rich is a couple of years younger than me. He, and he came in as an intern and then got hired. And so we've been friends for a really long time. And pretty much just every time that we would ever be talking about something, we would be like, well, which Warrant song do you think is better? And it's like <laughs> we would always gravitate towards talking about this music yeah so you know eventually we were like dude we just got to do this book like it's it's what we talk about anyway we might as well put it on paper so it was you know there was a lot of years of talking about it and we've known each other you know really almost a quarter century now which is insane to think of but um yeah so guitar world magazine really brought us together and sort of trained us and you know that was our, our, our early stomping ground. Love it. Tom, I tell you what, congratulations on the New York Times bestseller from fans everywhere. We thank you for putting this body of work. Can't wait to see what's around the corner. A documentary, maybe a festival. Uh, so much lies ahead that tells you this music's never going to die. Thanks for making time for us here in Fargo and chatting with us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Go check out Nothing But A Good Time, the book, The Uncensored History of the 80s Hard Rock Explosion, the New York Times now bestseller.